This is the Education Gadfly Show. In a way, you're better off than Kanye. You know why? You are not $53 million in the hole. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Robert Ponticio of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Kanye West. <laughs> You're already laughing. Brandon Light. That's, that's, that's a complicated it is, labeling. In, in a way, you're better off than Kanye. You know why? Why's that? You are not $53 million in the hole. That's true. That's true. That's mo true. More money, more problems. Actually, less money, more problems. <laughs> um, I feel like I can't even comment on this. Uh, do? You know, he's, he's asking Mark Zuckerberg for money. I saw. I saw. And Larry Page, I think. Ask Taylor Swift. He made her famous, right? Ask Taylor Swift. She's got $53 million lying around. She might. She might. And she has a Grammy. Yeah, but, I mean, wouldn't it be sweet if he had Taylor Swift bailed out uh, uh, Kanye West? I'm not <laughs> I'm making, making no bones about it. Uh, the Grammys? I you know fast forward, I DVR'd it, and then I watched the performances. Okay. Um, Kendrick's was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he should have won Album of the Year. Um, apparently, there's Record of the Year and Album of, album of the Year, and Record of the Year is is the Song of the Year. And by the way... And the record comes last. It seems like the album would be more important than the Song of the Year. And when was the last time you bought either a record or an album? Um... I buy them digitally, well, and I and I do buy vinyls sometimes. Yeah, back in the day, before you were you know an adult, there were these things called albums and records. I buy them. You I just told you. Uh, I actually got a nice record player for Christmas from my wife. Really? Yeah. Throwback. It's a hipster thing. Yes, uh, kind of. Although I've heard that hipsters no longer exist. It's really? like it's it's like hipsters are no more or something. Ding dong, the hipsters dead. It was like a 2015, 2014 thing or something. <laughs> it's, it, it was a, it was a big thing back when Kanye was. Okay. Uh, Tom to play part of the gadfly. Clara, take it away. A decade has passed since No Child Left Behind started the education reform movement. How have school policies changed since then? What do you think, Brandon? Uh, we have better standards. We have better tests. Um, and uh, we have higher bars. Higher cut scores. Higher cut scores. Right. Um, but we still need uh, better accountability. You know, that's um, a complicated question, isn't it? And, and I guess we, we should note we're, we're alluding to a piece that our esteemed colleagues, uh, Michael Petrilli and Checker Finn, had, I think, in the Washington Post, and we'll have it in, in the game. Yeah, I basically week. just parroted what they said yeah, yeah, yeah. right there. And, yeah. and, and uh, their point, and look, they've been in this game both uh, longer than, than you and I combined, I think. Much longer than me. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, the, the point that they make is that, look, um, back in the day of No Child Left Behind and its predecessors, uh, you know, we had the road to hell paved with good intentions, and that what what drove policy. And whether you love reform or hate reform, well, you know, we, we have gotten better since then. And mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, standards uh, they existed back then, but they were kind of vague and imprecise. Tests encouraged bad practice, so and the we, tests weren't all that good sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. They, they they tended to encourage uh, you know a little bit more um, you know rote memorization, for example. So now we have uh, uniform, higher standards. We have tests that are a lot more challenging, and more to the point, we have these higher cut scores. So you know this. this something that would happen in, when I was teaching in New York where a colleague of mine, Diana Senechal, literally showed that you could guess your way at random and still pass. No, that is done. And that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, although, uh, right, we still need to find a way to better hold schools and students and teachers accountable. Um, I think uh, ESSA has made some progress by removing the mandate to tie teacher um Accountability to test scores. Um, that was definitely a politically poisonous um, policy, especially when you have bad tests. Right. Um, 
So now it's up to states to do what they think is best, and I think that's right. that's also progress. You know, and I've said this on the podcast many times. I have a very complicated relationship with testing and accountability. So it's one thing to say, uh, as they did, that states have more latitude to design systems that that distinguish between strong and weak schools. But as ever, the the, the devil is in the details, uh, because I mean, the thing that that keeps me up at night about all this is as long as we are uh, determined to try to attach individual teacher efficacy to test scores in any way, shape, or form. Um, my concern is that's a slippery slope that, that leads to all these bad impacts of the, the testing tail wagging the schooling dog, as it were. In other words, it's like being a little bit pregnant. I'm not sure that we can do that. So I will be watching uh, very carefully this year to see whether states, uh, hopefully some of them will get this right uh, and give teachers the incentive, properly incentivize teachers to still be accountable while not being utterly dominated by the test. Sure. Love the test, have no problem with the data, but do not love the testing impact on schooling. Sure. Number two, Claire. All right. Although DCPS has been praised for its rising test scores, poor students in the district don't seem to be doing much better than poor kids nationally. Mm-hmm. Are gentrification and changing demographics the real cause for recent success? What a fascinating, fascinating piece of research. Did you see this, Brandon? I did. I from, did. From our good friend Matthew Ladner at the Heritage uh, Institute or Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, summarize for, for, for those of us who have not heard this. Uh, so he showed that over time, um, a lot of the gains in the city of D.C. Uh, are mostly for students who aren't eligible for free and reduced price lunch. Yeah, and when you say mostly, by the way, I mean overwhelming. Yeah, so um, if you look at just D.C. public schools, um, the kids who are eligible for free and reduced price lunch, they essentially are at the national average in terms of how much they've gained, whereas the kids who aren't eligible, they've added... Thirty-nine percentage points. It mm-hmm. looks like this says compared to eight for the country on average. Right. But there, we're only talking about DC public schools. We're not talking about DC charter schools and DC which charter schools, which make up about half of the schools right. in DC. They've done a lot better. Yeah. Yep. Um, both for kids who are eligible and not eligible for free and reduced price loans. So kids across kind of the economic spectrum. Um, but, but yeah. Yeah. It's troubling, right? Because if you think, I mean, DC, and this goes back to the day when Michelle Ree was here, DC made itself the kind of the white hot locus of education reform. So this is where all the reformer energy and, and I mean, an untold amount of tax dollars went into improving things. Uh, and what seems to have improved is maybe housing a little bit. You know, DC became a more attractive place to live. The, 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 and I'm extrapolating from Matthew Ladner's research here, but if, to the degree to which uh, folks uh, came to D.C. to live and work and were more comfortable sending their kids to public schools, that seems to be where the gains are. That um, that says something about our reform efforts here in D.C. and something maybe not so good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and based on what he found, I don't think you can argue with that. Um, the one thing I would like to uh, compliment the district on is uh, how well they've worked Worked with charter schools. Absolutely. That is rare. Um, there are only a few other cities in the entire country um, where districts have even done anything like this uh, Denver and New Orleans, and that's about it, mm-hmm. um, where charter schools have kind of been allowed to spread. Mm-hmm. And in DC, um, a big part of that is that the district works kind of side by side um, cooperatively, even though they compete 
um, cooperatively with charter schools and um, the district should really be given credit for doing that. Absolutely, whatever works for kids. But there was a line that Matthew wrote at uh, Jay Green's blog, which I'll quote because I think this, this, this hits the nail on the head. He writes, what is going on in DC is both complex, partially encouraging, and in the end, very disturbing. Sure. Number three, Clara. Success Academy is under fire again for the rip and redo video leaked by a former teacher's assistant in New York. An NYU professor called this behavior abusive teaching. Do you agree? Do I agree that it's abusive teaching? Boy, we we have to be really careful here because on the one hand, you look at the results that Success Academy has put up, and I've written about this uh, plenty over the years, and and you are blown away by them, right? I mean, uh, mean, I've, I've said this in the past. They are not doing incrementally better than other schools in New York City even other good schools, they're doing geometrically better. Uh, so schools everywhere. They're, they're the, true, true, true enough. Uh, then, then schools uh, everywhere. So there is some secret sauce at Success Academy that a lot of people wish they knew, including, frankly, me. Um, so that makes you clearly the object of envy. You know, when you were when you were just putting up numbers that are just you know off the charts, people want to know why you make yourself the object of scrutiny, uh, and and every little twitching thing that you do is going to come under fire. Now that said, um, you know this particular video, I think, really did uh, raise eyebrows among people who would consider themselves uh, Success Academy supporters. Uh, I I would say the reaction to this, uh, it falls into two camps. People who say, uh, this is very disturbing, and people who say, this is very disturbing, however. Um, And I think as closely watched as anything has been Success Academy's reaction to this. Uh, Eva Moskowitz, uh, again, whether you love her or hate her, she's an enormously polarizing figure. Uh, She did not back down. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, they suspended the teacher for a week and a half or so and then put her back in the classroom. Eva Moskowitz held a press conference. Uh, She said, if I'm quoting her correctly, I'm tired of apologizing. Uh, She defended the teacher. She said, uh, this is a a teacher who has uh, produced tremendous results for kids. Parents want her back, etc. So she is uh, brazening it out, so to speak. Um, uh, Durrell Bradford uh, wrote a piece in the 74, basically challenging Eva Moskowitz's critics to say, you don't like this? Well, what's your solution? Give Give us your model, you know, but produce these same results. Uh, so th- this this has become yet another one of those kind of Rorschach tests about uh, Eva Moskowitz. I think, again, people are very reluctant, and I'm certainly not going to defend the conduct of this teacher. It makes you uncomfortable when you see the video, but then there is still the fact of those extraordinary school uh, uh, scores and schools uh, and the fact that she is doing what those of us in the reform movement have been saying for decades can be done uh, to get low-income black and brown kids to the same achievement level and higher than, than uh, affluent kids. Uh, but boy, has she painted a bullseye on herself, and boy, are they under scrutiny. Yes, they are. <laughs> That's all we're getting out of Brandon today on this one. You don't want um, to touch this. No, I mean, it, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens going forward um, with yeah. this and with No Excuses Schools and everything that's 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 kind of involved directly or indirectly in this controversy i guess yeah i, I mean look part of me does sympathize tremendously with uh, with success on this because uh, they are essentially now a de facto school district and i don't know where they would be if they if you looked at them as a school district they'd be a good mid-sized school district it is impossible to go into any school uh, or district of that size and not find somebody uh, on some given day doing something that is probably not ideal practice uh, but the point is now um, boy the long knives are out and people are going to be looking for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's all the time we have for Pardon the Gadfly. Now it's time for everybody's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Hey, 
you doing, Amber? I'm great. Thank you. Let me ask, did you watch the Grammys? I did not. You're not I a Grammy girl? I just didn't. I mean, usually, you know, women watch it for the outfits. Let me just be honest. Oh. Um, but I missed the outfits. I missed the Grammys. I missed everything. Uh, this was the first year watching the Grammys where I think I was unfamiliar with at least half of the, uh, uh, the nominees. I read it The Martian. The uh, Weeknd. And, Who the heck is and The, the Martian? Did you guys seen that yet? I have not seen that yet. Okay, well. Anyway, it's, I have. It's good. It's Matt Damon on Mars. Damon movies. I read the book, too. Oh, you read the Dare yeah. is better. Yeah. The book was better, which is always the case. As a former English teacher, the book is always better. Yeah. So, anyway, okay. that's what I was doing. So, the Grammys, probably better use of my time, I'm okay. guessing. Uh, by the way, after the podcast, we're taking up a collection to retire Kanye West's debt. It's $53 million. <gasps> Hopefully, you can contribute maybe two yeah, or three of I don't think I'm giving him any my, no. my hard-earned cash. <laughs> you, are, you are tough. Anyhow, you want to know what I got for you this Let's week? Let's hear it. All right. I got a new study from Harvard called Teaching Higher Educators' Perspectives on Common Core Implementation. Everybody's doing Ooh. Common Core work, including okay. us. Uh, but this survey, they um, analyzed a random sample of fourth through eighth grade educators, about 1,600 of them in five states, Delaware, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Mexico, and Nevada, if you care about that. <laughs> they asked them a bunch of questions about their PD and materials and teaching strategies and so on. Uh, the, there's a whole bunch of data around the frequencies, about what the survey found, but I'm going to concentrate on the back end of the study, which is they basically created all these like little indices from the survey responses. <laughs> and those indices were things like principal is leading common core implementation okay things like that and then you put a bunch of questions together that sort of equal that okay, okay. Um, and then they use those indices to analyze the link between each index and student performance on part and smarter balance which is kind of interesting oh. right okay so they were able to link the teacher survey responses to their students test scores in 2014 2015 park and smarter balanced assessment administration okay, okay? and they controlled for students baseline scores they controlled for their characteristics they controlled of the scores and characteristics of their classroom peers on the teacher side they controlled for her value-added score in the prior year so on and so forth but regardless this is still a correlational study okay, okay. we're looking at the link between these indices um, and student achievement on park and smarter bounds and there was something correlation is not what is it again? causation That's, there you go uh, the bottom line is that they find more statistically significant relationships for math Math than English. Be curious to get your opinion on that. Hmm. Specifically, three indices were related to student achievement in math. Number one, the frequency and specificity of feedback from classroom observations. Hmm. Number two, the number of days of professional development. Number three, the inclusion of student performance on common core aligned assessments in teacher evaluations. I'm not sure I know what that means. So, for example, that's really good that you asked me that. A 100 point difference in the percentage of teachers reporting that student test scores on a common core aligned assessment. And this can be, it doesn't have to be park or smarter balance. Mm-hmm. It can be a formative or interim assessment, maybe a benchmark thing sure. that the school district's using. If that plays a role, that's the wording on the survey, if it plays a role in their formal evaluation, that was linked to a 0.18 standard deviation difference in achievement on park or smarter balance okay, math so tests. Not a huge effect, not but a not huge, nothing. Right. And keep in mind, this is the difference between schools where 0% of teachers reported having had that and okay. schools where 100% reported having that. So it's a pretty generous measure, I think okay. is what I'm saying. Uh, in math, they also found that the use of the textbook Go Math was positively related to student performance. Hmm. And in ELA, this is a head scratcher. The only index that predicted student performance on Park or Smarter Balanced was school context, which was the degree to which teachers perceive school as a pleasant place to work. Stop it. That's it. Really? <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> see, now, this is interesting because I'm, I'm always the guy who says, you know, that, that well, one, I love curriculum effects. So uh, even though I, I don't know the Go Math program that well, anytime somebody takes the time to, to, to tr- or demonstrate a curriculum effect, that, that makes me happy. Yes. Um, but boy, that's a straight of all the things. It's, it's uh, a head scratcher. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm almost done. Um, they try to throw an optimistic bone at the end for the ELA folks uh, because teachers actually report 86% say they've increased their attention on writing. And the obviously the old st- state tests, I know this because we just did this huge assessment study. I heard. Um, don't tend to focus on writing, but the sure. new assessments do a lot better job. So obviously they're hoping that, you know, this is going to help uh, with, the, with the writing link. Um, so just last thing, what's not linked to student achievement was also interesting, right? So they, all these other indices that they didn't report on. Mm-hmm. But one was whether they the school was fully embracing the Common Core. Whether it's teachers, not. well, what it wasn't linked either way, whether yeah. they were or weren't. And I wonder how they define that. But, but. Uh, it was, I think, it was a principal uh, survey, like a, okay. your own, right. you know. Uh, teachers developing materials with their colleagues, teachers describing that they were had substantial shifts in their instruction, hmm. and teacher collaboration. So there's all these things that you would think might be linked to student achievement right. that weren't shown, but again, it's just a correlation. But they did find these like classroom observations, PD, and this teacher eval thing that were linked. So, so it's interesting. That. So what? What do you make of that? So I, uh, I'm here to ask you that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you see how I did but, that? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's squishy, right? The number right, exactly. of PD, like that is so squishy because we know like yeah. what the heck is the PD about? Sure. Um, is it any good? And we've got a whole pile of dusty old studies that say PD is meaningless. Right. And yeah. we don't, teachers don't even, like they categorize everything as that. So like I have no idea what to make of that. Yeah. And the eval one, as I mentioned, is sort of squishy because it can be interim, formative, it can be kind of anything. Yeah. Um, and so that's a little squishy. And and then this other one, what was my third one, was um, specificity of feedback from classroom observation. Now, I kind of like that one. I, I do like that one. Um, I mean, what, what this is suggesting to me, and I'm hearing this cold, is is that in schools where the lights are turned on, so to speak, and an emphasis is being placed on giving teacher feedback, and there's a, there's a culture of evaluation and mm-hmm. teacher development, it sounds like that's bearing some fruit. It does. Fair? I think that's very fair. I like that sort of, you know, takeaway. Yeah. yeah. I think that, and I think the data actually support that. Um, they don't dig into exactly what the you know the feedback looks like, but we hear a lot about that, right? And I think that's a positive thing that's a come out of the accountability movement and the teacher right. evaluation movement is if you're going to evaluate a teach- teacher, make it worth their while, right. right? Give them feedback that they're going to be able to use. Don't just check like that. Like my first evaluation year, evaluation by checklist, checklist, right, and right. then you look at it and you're like, yeah, yeah, I did fine, but you absolutely no no feedback. So in, yeah. in the places where that's occurring and it's meaningful, it does seem like there is a link to um, student achievement, which is is good news. It is good news. It's, it is a small effect size, obviously, right. but it seems directionally intriguing. So yes. let's find out more. That's exactly right. And I just, I really like that we're able to make these ties between test scores, right? And mm-hmm. sort of hearing from the educators that, that, that there actually might be a link between what teachers are doing or say they're doing um, and how their kids are doing. So yeah. that's kind of a cool, uh, cool line of research to pursue. Good. All right. But why those states, by the way? They seem like a crazy I think they were able states. to link the survey responses to the student achievement test scores. Just the data was available. Yeah, more okay. of the data were available. That's right. Okay. And that's all the time we have for this week's Gadfly Show. Till next week. Brennan Wright. And I'm Robert Pundicio for the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.